Alright everybody, hello and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. Happy to still be here, happy to still be alive, most of the time. My history with depression being what it is. Glad you're listening. However you happen to have come to the podcast, whatever your platform of choice, whatever your avenue to being here, I'm grateful you're listening. Please like, comment, subscribe. Uh, if those are the relevant actions you can take, share the show to any of your friends, family, acquaintances, enemies, uh, strangers. If you think they'd be interested, I don't care. I care that people listen. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, if you're... There's a few different places that I know a bunch of people uh, have downloads. If you could, just again, interact with the product, interact with this a little bit. Doesn't have to be a whole lot, but just, come on, give us something. If you think the show deserves a thumbs up, and I tend to think it does, give it a thumbs up. If you can give a more nuanced rating than a straight pass fail, then please, whatever you happen to think the show deserves, give it that. I encourage honesty when it comes to these things, uh, as usual. Should be a relatively short show this evening, just the event last night, the event coming up, and really not a lot of news this week. Been a quiet week. I mean... On the actual news front, there have been a lot of fights that have fallen out and moved around, and when we talk about the relevant events, we can talk a little bit about that, but not not a whole lot uh, as far as the actual news goes. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 33. About two hours before the event was to kick off, uh, we lost our co-main event. Uh, sorry, not our co-main event. My apologies. The fight kicking off the main card was going to be the rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutalaba. This was supposed to take place a couple of weeks ago at the Benavidez figure... Uh, excuse me. Uh, UFC 252. Uh, their original fight was at the first Benavidez Figueredo card. They were supposed to be on 252. Then Kutalaba tested positive for COVID. Now, for those of you who might be keeping track of these things, UFC 252 was August 15th. It is this one took place August, uh, well, you know, 29th. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it was probably a little bit. Uh, if I'm being charitable, and I'll be charitable first this time, ambitious of the UFC to rebook someone with a positive COVID test under their belt for just a couple of weeks later. If I'm being more critical, and that's my normal state of being, this is borderline criminally irres... I shouldn't say criminally. That's hyperbolic. It is unbelievably irresponsible for the UFC to book someone that close to a positive test, to have them come and do all the promotional work. I mean, Kutalaba was there for all of media day. If he... and then test positive again... If he was at the contagious phase of the disease, look at all the people you just exposed. Shockingly irresponsible. And I know there's been some academic uh, research now that's come out about whether or not our testing, uh, about how the thresholds we test for and what we test for in most of the COVID tests may not necessarily indicate uh, the levels that, not just the levels, may not necessarily indicate the uh, well, again, where you are as far as being contagious relative to just being positive, and given how many people are 
you know, very positive, you know, very, I shouldn't say very positive. How many people are asymptomatic and spread it? It's, it's a interest, it's a point of delineation that it might seem overly noodly, but it does matter, especially when we get into the noodly business of actually battling a pandemic. But it, it's still just horribly irresponsible on the part of all parties here. So that fight fell out a couple of hours out to the surprise, again, was there was there any real difference between you know giving that another two weeks? What was what was gained or lost? I mean, what was lost was a fight here on a card that. Eh, I don't know how to say this. You know, I'm gonna quote someone I saw on Twitter. I believe this was uh, I believe this is one of the photographers, uh, one of the famous MMA photographers. I think like Casey Linden Leiden. I apologize. I'm probably getting your name wrong. He says that this card was a little bit like eating a lot of pancakes. Uh, at the beginning, it's you're really good, but by the time you finally get around to finishing, you kind of wish you were dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of like that. Uh, this card started off gangbusters, and then dropped fairly precipitously off, especially by the time we got to the top couple of fights, so... Yeah. Uh, in your main event, let's go down these... There's not a lot to get into here. Alexander Rakich defeats Anthony Smith via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 130-26. I was 30-26. Um, Rakich came out... Lan- these two traded some absolutely hellacious calf kicks. I mean... Ow. Just listening to them. But Rakich was landing about... Two or so to every one Smith was landing, and then eventually he kind of swept his legs out from under him. Got on top, and this fight became pretty much every MMA fight from about 2008, give or take. Uh, Who gets on top? And then the person on bottom just kind of holds on, plays a little bit of guard, but isn't really active, isn't... And I, as an observer... As a fan, to the extent that I'm a fan, I suppose. I'm happy to point out that, you know, it's a lot of the heavier guys, guys, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Once they hit the ground, things tend to stall out. The guy on bottom struggles to really get up. The guy on top doesn't want to give up too much. Because you're in a winning position, right? Unless you're really worried about your opponent's guard. If you can maintain top position and be the more effective party, congratulations, you're winning. And I don't I don't mean that sarcastically. You're winning the fight. And they don't want to give up too much looking to pass, or the person on bottom is really good at guard retention, but, again, not really great about getting up. And things stall out. And I, in the interest of fairness, part of that is because of the physical dimensions in play. It's easier for lightweights, welterweights even, and below, to be more active. There's a lot less mass being thrown around. Your energy levels are higher. When you get to... Look, neither Smith nor Rakich were 205 pounds when they got into that cage. Both of them were probably 220s. I'd be shocked if they weren't. They're they're big men. They're both 6'4". So, large people. Getting someone who knows how to keep 220 pounds on... Uh, I mean, 
it's been said a lot of times if you roll with someone who knows how to use their weight, even if they're smaller than you, they feel they feel more, you know? Uh, I think Mackenzie Dern's father, Wellington uh, Diaz, his nickname in the jiu-jitsu community was Megaton. He's not a big guy, but boy was he heavy on top of you. And now imagine you have someone who is not only good about using their weight, but actually 220-some-odd pounds. Uh, it's hard. And energy conservation becomes different at those levels. You just, it takes more. And I'm happy, and I try to acknowledge that even when I criticize. Like, okay, even for heavyweight or light heavyweight, so-and-so has bad cardio. And I don't necessarily hold them to the same standards as, you know, a flyweight, a bantamweight, a featherweight. Like, why aren't you doing this? Now, I know why you're not. It doesn't mean I have to enjoy what you're doing. And I frequently don't, but I do, in the interest of objectivity and fairness, they're big guys. Getting someone like Alexander Rakich off of you is not an easy task. Now try doing it after he punted you in the calf, you know, five or six times. That leg's compromised, and you need your legs. Uh, Rakich is also good about kind of riding people. Anytime Smith would try to wall walk, Rakich was good about... Moving to a slightly different position, be that, you know, a ride position or something similar. Attacking the posts, leaning on the guy, and making it unbelievably difficult to get up. You know, that's to his credit. He did that. He didn't fall into it by accident. And wins a clear decision. Uh, The fight wasn't terribly interesting, but I'm not going to hold... I'm going to note that, but I'm not going to hold it too much against Rakic. His fight with Uzdemir was fairly good. Uh, his fights tend to be fairly interesting. And he was fighting a guy that it's really, really hard to look... I mean, who has looked... Let me run through Smith's uh, Anthony Smith's time in the UFC here. Uh, who has looked good beating him? Cesar Fajaya didn't. Maybe you could argue Tiago Santos... So, and that was all at middleweight. I mean, he had some big wins in between those. Uh, I mean, look, his his run to the title... I mean, two of his three wins going into his title bout at 205 were guys who shouldn't be fighting anymore in Rashad Evans and Mauricio Shogun. And, you know, Shogun. Uh, the Uzdemir win was pretty legit. But, you know, did John Jones look great against him? Not really. He dominated that fight, but you know, was it great? No. He beats Gustafson, which is still probably his best win. I mean, Teixeira beats him. Did I mean this in all seriousness? Did Glover Teixeira look great in that fight? Glover dropped the first couple of rounds pretty handily. If not, I mean, argue. Uh, you know, he won the third, but he didn't look great. I mean, if anything, the fact that it went as long as it did was an indictment on Glover. You know, someone with more finishing power... I shouldn't say more finishing power. There were opportunities prior to that finish for Glover to have forced the issue in ways he did not. Now, whether that's because Smith was making things too difficult for him in some respects or because of some choices he made with respect to energy conservation, I don't know the details. I can tell you 
he did not. It, it was a brutal beating once things got glowing Glover's way, but it wasn't a, a scintillating performance on his part. Smith's a hard guy to look good against. I think that's just probably the uh, the reality of it. Uh, after the fight, Rakich said he wants to fight for the title next. I appreciate the sentiment, but I I don't think he's next. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we have... Uh, what do we have? We have the return of Tiago Santos against the aforementioned Glover Teixeira. That fight seems much more likely to crown a number one contender than this fight did. Uh, and I think... I think that even if Rakic had done something, if he if he did anything other than something spectacular, he was probably always going to be second to the winner of that fight. Unless, I think the only way he is able to leapfrog the Teixeira Santos winner is if he did something spectacular here and the Santos Teixeira fight was a total dud. I think that's the only way that happens. And I, I don't, again, I don't, and given the matchups, I don't really see either of those as being all that realistic a possibility. So he's probably got one more fight before he fights for the belt. And I think he's probably going to wind up fighting the loser of either the title fight between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich or the loser of Teixeira and Santos. Unless he chooses to kind of just sit out and wait to be the guy after the next fight. He'd be out for a while in that case, but it's not like there's a burgeoning crop of light heavyweights that we're all clamoring to see fight for the belt. It'd be a gamble, but it might be a calculated gamble on his part if he were to just say, you know what, I'm going to wait. Again, I'm not sure he should. It's not the direction I would go with those things, but... uh, Crazier fighters have done similar things in the past, so I imagine he's looking at one more. But Rakic is still a very good fighter. He's he's still developing in some respects. A lot of his game is good, but he's I mean he's 28. He's only had what uh, 19, 15. He's only had 15 fights. He's not even 30. Uh, there's still some stuff that he's going to wind up kind of ironing out as he continues to go forward. I expect him to be in the title. I expect him to fight for the title at some point. And he's certainly good enough to win. So, again, is it next for him? Probably not. But he's in the title picture, and if something happens, and given the state of the world in fighting, I mean... Look for a minute at how many fights fell out of this event, right? For just a second. We lost Ryan Hall from the Lamas fight. Uh, we lost an entire fight hours before. We lost Alex Caceres and Giga Chikadze. We'll get to that, how Caceres' fight went in a minute. Uh, we lost Saperbeck Safarov versus Julian Marquez. We are in a place right now with the world as it relates to the fight game where you are I mean we've always said those of us that watch fights a lot nothing is actually permanent until the fighters are in the cage 
That is doubly true at the moment. Uh, I mean, I can't remember the last card that came in that, uh, you know, from the time it was announced to the time they got into the cage and fought was the same from conception to execution, right? It's just, it's, it's almost impossible given the variables working in the world right now. So if something happens to either Reyes or Blahovich before their fight, Reykjic could step in. If something happens to, you know, say Santos or Teixeira wins, but, you know, either gets injured or the nature of their fight is just takes such a physical toll that they're not available on a meaningful time frame. Or if something happens to the Teixeira-Santos fight to begin with and it just doesn't happen, in which case Rakic would fairly clearly be the next man up, I think. Assuming they tried to just rebook uh, Santos and Teixeira and not just uh, shoehorn one of them into the title. But I, again, there's a lot of variables, and Rakic is very well positioned for that. Uh, as for Smith... This was a rough matchup for him. I don't know what he does next. He probably sticks around light heavyweight. And light heavyweight is not really a division where the UFC can afford... I say this, and yet they have, to just jettison talent. So, I don't know. Uh, again, Smith may very well be in Bellator in the not-too-distant future. I, I find that a little unlikely. I tend to think there's enough, he's got at least one more fight uh, before the UFC would make that call, but... Uh, yeah, he's he's not in a good spot. That's that's fairly clear. He's lost, you know, two in a row now. He's uh, one and f- one and three in his last four. I mean, granted that win was a good win over Gustafson, but not a great spot. So Rakic near the title picture, and depending on how things go, might be fighting for the belt soon. Alright, uh, next up, Neil Magny defeated Robbie Lawler via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. This was just a depressing fight. Um, you know, kudos to Magny for fighting smart. He fought either all the way out in terms of keeping Lawler at the end of a pretty significant reach disadvantage, or all the way into the clinch where he could kind of fight from there, get behind, take Lawler down, kind of wear on him. This was a bog-standard Neil Magny performance. And I don't... I don't really think Magny's ever going to be champion. And that's not necessarily the biggest indictment on him and his skills. He's a very... I mean, he's a high-level fighter. He's one of the... If we were to open up and try to rank the top welterweights in the world, and not just the UFC... Magny's a top 20 welterweight in the world. He's a top 15 guy in the UFC pretty easily. But if you look at how he kind of matches up with the most difficult challenges in that division, the Usman, I mean, Usman is the champion, but would you favor him over Covington? Or Leon Edwards? Uh... I mean, Tyron Woodley and Covington are going to fight each other, but I, I might favor him over Woodley at this point. Uh, okay, how about Steven Thompson? I don't know that I'd favor him over Wonderboy. Damian Maia already beat him. Rafael DeSandros already beat him. I mean, Michael Chiesa's up at welterweight now. I, I kind of think they're just going to rebook Magny and Jeff Neal, which this fight was supposed to be. 
Uh, which, I mean, look, Lawler has been fighting... Lawler debuted in the UFC in 2002. I was still in high school. And he was, I think, 20. I mean, when he fought Nick Diaz, uh, I think, like... They were both, like, late teens, early 20s adults. And he has been around forever. He had one of the all-time great career resurgences to come back and win the win the belt. But it does just kind of need to be said out loud, I think. Robbie Lawler, in back-to-back fights, had two of the most brutal fights you will ever see. His title fight with Rory McDonald is one of the most bloody fights you'll see. It... I shouldn't say that. It's one of the bloodiest championship-level fights you'll see. Those two, again, just carved each other up. They put each other through the ringer. Roy McDonald hasn't been the same since that fight. Lawler follows that up with an absolutely brutal war with Carlos Condit. Condit should have won. I still think the judges got that wrong. But you have those two kind of fights back-to-back after this much time in the sport. You know, the pieces of himself that Robbie Lawler left in those cages, I mean, all those cages, all those years leading up to those two fights in consecutive fashion. Buddy, the camel's back was not broken by a straw in that case. There's... There's not too many people in the history of the sport or the history of, you know, all fight sports that could have those kinds of wars back-to-back and come out on the other side very nearly the same guy. It, it just... It's not really possible. I don't know... I'm not calling for Lawler to retire... And I don't know that he'll be in the UFC much longer. Look, he's on a he's on a three fight losing streak now. Uh, four, sorry. Losses to Rafael dos Anjos, Ben Askren, Colby Covington, and Neil Magny. And you can kind of, if you want to make a case about the Askren fight, fine. I'm not going to argue with you. Okay, if you want to say that was a botched call, fine. Botched call. That's still not good recently. The man is just one and five in his last six. Uh, that's not a good stretch. Now, he's been fighting guys who are very good. Rafael dos Anjos is a very, very good fighter. Ben Askren. I, I, I mean, we kind of meme on the guy now at this point, but good fighter. Colby Covington might go on to be a champion. Still one of the top guys in the sport. Neil Magny. Tough fighter. Tough out. Neil Magny's almost got as many UFC wins at welterweight as George St. Pierre. Not against near the level of opposition that GSP faced, I think, but not an easy guy to beat. So, yeah, as for Magny, again, I think they're just going to remake the Jeff Neal fight, which I'm okay with. I was looking forward to that. I think that's a better fight than him versus Lawler. As for what's next for Lawler, I don't know. I'm just... I'm not excited for Robbie Lawler fights anymore. And we're probably not that far away from a fight between him and Johnny Hendricks and Bare Knuckle that I'm sure, you know, some people might 
desperately try to cling to the delusion that either of those men is a quarter of the fighter they used to be. But, yeah, that's kind of where we are with that. Okay, Alexa Grosso defeated Ji Yun Kim via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, this was Grosso's flyweight debut. She looked pretty good. Uh, she had a speed advantage. So, she, as the fight wore on, she kept finding her right, her overhand right over the lead hand and shoulder of Kim and landed that fairly consistently. Uh, Kim... It's hard for me to say whether or not Flyweight's going to be a really good fit for Grosso. Just because Kim physically is such... I mean, Kim had missed weight in her two previous fights at Flyweight. She's a... She might be a disproportionately large Flyweight. So I'm not sure... I, again, we need more... more uh, data to analyze as far as that goes, but... Grosso did kind of what Grosso does. She moves well. She, you know, kind of bounces in and out. Has again, good hand speed, some pretty good boxing fundamentals. Mixes up her kicks into it fairly well. Uh, this was a good, solid win for Grosso as she debuts up at Flyweight. And, look, Flyweight needs, uh, you know, good fighters. There's not a lot of them there. Uh, Ricardo Lamas defeated Bill Algio via unanimous decision, uh, 29-27 across the board. I just Before I talk about this fight, I don't believe it's a coincidence that the only round universally scored a 10-8 is the one that commentary, in particular Brandon Fitzgerald, was kind of lobbying for. So, something to be aware of. This was a really good fight. Uh... Lamas won rounds one and three, and then third round, I didn't give him a 10-8 live, but I don't object to it, just to be abundantly clear about that. I don't think... I, I don't think it's an incorrect score. Uh, Algio had a really good second round. He stayed long. He caught Lamas with this beautiful intercepting knee to the chin. Uh, that's the kind of thing that puts most people to sleep. Lamas gutted through that, came out in the third uh, got things to the ground, got the back, spent most of the fight, the, uh, the most of the round between the back and mount. Uh, good comeback from Lamas. Uh, this was your fight of the night, and I think deservedly so. This was a good fight. Uh, Lamas afterward mentioned that he's not sure if he's retiring after this fight or not, but don't be surprised if he does. For a guy who's been around as long as Lamas has, I mean, he's 38 at featherweight. That's a division where you age hard. And he debuted professionally back in 2008. I mean, he debuted in the WEC promotion in 2009, and since then has been in either that promotion or the UFC. Uh, so, that's 11 years. Over 11, because he debuted in March of 2009. So, far and away, the bulk of this man's career has been in the UFC. He's almost 40, and I mean, again, if he does continue to fight, it would kind of, he's not going to get another shot at the belt. He's, I wouldn't put it this way. He is at the point in his career at which a lot of people in that situation retire, and I don't think that's incorrect for them to do so. If 
if this was his big win to go out with a record of 20 and 8, you know, he debuted in the UFC in the WEC at 5 and 0. To he's had a good career. He has nothing to be ashamed about. Uh, Algio took this again, took this fight on short notice. This was supposed to be Lamas and Ryan Hall, which I was so much more interested in. Uh, I imagine Algio will get an invite back uh, after this after this performance. He's not he's not going to get cut after this loss. Uh, as for the prelims, Impa Kasangane defeated Maki Patolo via unanimous decision, thirty twenty seven on all three cards. Kasangane, there was there's an argument for Patolo taking the first. Kasangane has very good uh, patience, very good calmness about himself when he fights. Uh, at least based on this fight. Uh, both men heavy, heavy-handed, but both men also have good chins. Uh, Kasangane, I think this was only his eighth fight. Uh, very green, and I'm not usually a fan of guys that green in the UFC, but... Uh, you know, Maki Patolo is nobody is... I shouldn't say he's nobody's stepping stone. He's not an easy fight. And Kasangane answered that particular test, so... Good on him. It was a good little fight. Uh, Zach Cummings defeated Alessio DiCirico via unanimous decision, 229-28, Uh Very, very uninteresting fight. I think the only thing of note was uh, Zach Cummings' head kick that he landed pretty much at the buzzer of the third round. Uh, DiCirico saved by the bell in that case, I think. Uh, there's even five more seconds in that fight. Uh, Cummings follows up and finishes that, but... You la- he landed it when he landed it, so it was it, it was a fight, sort of. Uh, Alex Caceres defeated Austin Springer via rear naked choke, 338 of the first. Springer, a late notice replacement, missed weight badly. He weighed 151. Um, look, Caceres is not a great fighter, but he's been in the UFC for a while, and he is a good fighter. And Springer looked like a guy who took a fight on about a week's notice. That's just kind of how that played out. Uh, Sean Brady defeated Christian Aguilera via guillotine choke, uh, 147 of the second. Good performance from Sean Brady. I love this finishing sequence, actually. Uh, He is on top. He goes for a mounted guillotine. Uh, Aguilera defends. He kind of off-balances him, gets onto his shoulder. But... Uh, Brady never loses the arm under the chin. He never loses that catch around the neck. So when Aguilera, when he's able to kind of re-control the position and force Aguilera back, he just attacks it again. And this time Aguilera can't defend, puts him to sleep. Uh, Sean Brady is, he's undefeated now. He's, I think, 13-0. and uh, That man is good. That man is very good. Uh, again, still kind of young. But a lot of really good tools there. A lot of really good tools. Uh, Poliana Viana defeated Emily Whitmire via armbar, 153 of the first. Pretty decent armbar from Viana. She looked like she kind of like fainted attacking Whitmire's right arm. Uh, wound up reaching hooking the right leg as she got her hips around, attacked the left arm, uh, held on to it, readjusted as Whitmire tried to roll through, got the submission. Decent finish, uneventful fight. 
and Ma kicking off the entire card, bleh, Mallory Martin defeated Hannah Cyphers via rear naked choke, 133 of the second. Uh, Chris Tognoni was your referee, and he is the comeback ref, apparently. Uh, Cyphers clobbered Martin in the first, uh, dropped her with a right, put a pretty significant beating on her. There's a couple of points when if that fight had been stopped, I don't think anyone would have complained. But Martin did enough when asked to to keep the fight going, comes out in the second, gets a takedown, gets the back, gets the choke. Uh, yeah, uh, Cypher's missed weight for that, I believe. She weighed 117, so... Uh, just, you know, another day in the strawweight division, I guess. Uh, that was the event. Thanks to everyone who read along live or after the fact. I, I appreciate you guys uh, always checking in. I... Uh, I try to say it as often as I can that I appreciate all your support because I do. And, it, yeah, it just it means a lot to me. So, thank you. Thank you all very much for your continued support. Uh, you can find that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania if you are so inclined. And since you're listening to this, I kind of tend to think you are. All right, moving on. This coming Saturday, UFC on ESPN Plus 34. Um, we don't even have an official bout order for this yet, I think. Jeez. Let me see if... Let me see if we do. Um, I think we're all kind of guessing here. Um, okay, I'm going to go with the bout order. Let me see if the UFC's website has a... has an order listed or not. Because it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. The UFC's website being what it is. Uh, no, they do not have an official bout order yet. They just have Overeem versus Sakai as the main event. Okay. We'll go with what's listed on Tapology, and if I'm wrong about the order, you have my apologies. Alrighty. Uh, main event, Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Uh, this is a pretty big moment for Overeem. He is actually on a pretty good streak. He's 3-1 and one in his last four fights, that one loss coming to Jarzinho Rosenstrike, in a fight that Overeem was winning up until that last kind of Hail Mary punch landed. Which is not to take away from Rosenstrike, it's only to note that Overeem looked really good for the vast majority of that fight. He's coming off the win over Walt Harris. And if he wants another shot at the belt, he really can't afford a loss here. Uh, on the other side, we have Augusto Sakai, who has not yet lost in the UFC. In fact, he only has one loss overall, that being a split decision to Czech Congo in Bellator in 2017. Uh, while in the UFC, he has knocked out Chase Sherman and Marcin Tabora and beaten Andrei Arlovsky and Blagoy Ivanov. Both of the... The Ivanov and Arlovsky fights were split decisions. Uh, the, in the Ivanov fight, I think there was an argument for Ivanov. I'm not sure I saw one for Arlovsky. That's just me. Um, this is a big spot for Sakai. This is, a, again, a very critical fight for Overeem. Uh, I tend to pick over him in these cases, but he's a little chinny, and Sakai has power. My only issue with Sakai in this case is that 
he's really hot and cold, even throughout the course of a fight. Like He'll have moments where he does a lot of good work, but long periods where he doesn't. And if you let Overeem kind of control and pot shot you one at a time from the outside while you're recharging, that's a bad way to fight him. It's a really, really bad way to fight Alistair Overeem. So, um, for whatever my pick is worth, I'm going to pick Overeem, but I won't be surprised at all if Sakai pulls this off. He's, yeah, he's very hard to beat. All right. Assuming the rest of the bout order, uh, Ovin St. Prue versus Alonzo Menafield. God, who could possibly care? I'm going to pick Menafield just because I I kind of want OSP to go away. Uh, but this was supposed to take place a couple of weeks ago. St. Prue had a positive COVID test. Watch him test positive again because the UFC is too aggressively rescheduling these things. Uh I mean, I should pick St. Prue, but I'm just not going to. Uh, Sajara Eubanks will fight Carol Rosa. Uh, let me have a look at this one. I mean, Eubanks, did she finally get a win? Yeah, she beat Sarah Morris. Um, I barely remember that fight. It was utterly uninteresting. Rosa's fought in the UFC a couple of times, but... She's won both, yeah. I'll probably pick Rosa, because, you know, picking... Picking Eubanks is such an odd thing. Because it's not like she's a bad fighter, but... She just doesn't win very often. Uh, we have Michelle Pereja versus Zalim Imadiev. That could be fun. I mean, Michelle Pereja is, you know, crazy man. Uh who got himself, you know, DQ'd fighting Diego Sanchez in a fight he obliterated uh, Diego Sanchez in and then, you know, landed in the legal knee. Uh, I'm going to pick Imadeev. Um, he, he's had two rough fights in the UFC. Uh, he lost a majority decision to Max Griffin and then uh, was finished by Danny Roberts Maybe I shouldn't. Now nah, I'm going to pick Perea. Screw it. This is the one fight that, I, that I'm going to say might wind up having just sheer entertainment value to it. Alright. Uh, Tiago Moises will fight Jalen Turner. Uh, Turner's an odd guy. I mean, he debuted up at welterweight on short notice against Vicente Luque, and he's gone one and he's gone two and one since then. Uh, I just kind of question whether or not Moises is. Uh, Moises is one in is excuse me, uh, two and two in the UFC. He hit Michael Johnson with that really sweet Achilles lock. I'm pr- I'm gonna pick Moises, but yeah, that one could go either way. Uh, Bartos Fabinski will be back in action against Andre Muniz. Uh, Fabinski beat Darren Stewart his last time out. I mean, Fabinski's not setting the world on fire, but he's a tough guy to kind of get around. Uh, whereas Muniz beat Antonio Arroyo in his UFC debut. I don't remember that fight. 
I know I covered it, I just don't remember it. Probably go with Fabinski there. He's a slightly more proven commodity. Uh, Montana De La Rosa will fight Viviani Araujo. Uh, Montana uh, got a winner last time out. Whereas Viviani lost to Jessica I. That's never really a great in, uh, comment on your abilities. Um, probably Montana there, but again, both women are good in kind of similar fashion, so it could go either way, and no one should be surprised if it does. Uh, we have a, are they back, is, yeah, back at heavyweight, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, who beat the combat wombat <laughs> in February, sorry. Uh, I I will never not find Ben Sassoli's nickname amusing. Uh, Alexander Romanov, by contrast, is making his UFC debut. He is uh, undefeated. Probably go with Romanov there, but it's heavyweight, you know? Who knows? And kicking everything off, Cole Smith will fight Hunter Azure. Um, Azure coming off of a loss, I seem to recall. Yeah, Brian Kelleher stopped him in the second round. Uh, whereas Smith lost to split decision to Miles Johns. Probably going to go with Smith there, but... Uh, I mean, both guys have less than 10 professional fights. They're still very young, still very developing, so that's kind of a shot in the dark as far as that goes. But at the moment, at least, that is your listed card for Saturday's event. I will be right here uh, on 411 Mania covering that event, and I do hope you'll stop by and say hello because I'm probably going to be a little bit depressed. That's, uh, that's the cut. I mean, I don't mean to be overly negative of an event before it happens because, as we all know, fights can be exciting whether you really... A fight on paper that looks a little bit meh can wind up being a great fight in practice. So I always try to make that disclaimer. But I'm also not going to lie about how excited I am for a card ahead of time. And this one doesn't really do a whole lot for me. So there's that. Uh, okay. Only sort of piece of news, I guess. Uh, Dana White's been asked a few times about the potential fight between Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. He seems to want to make that fight. I mean, really, who could possibly be against that fight? I would love to watch that fight. I, I Again, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's two fighters with a history of guaranteed action, uh, two uh, top-shelf lightweights. Uh, you know, speaking of guys who have been in wars... Dustin Poirier has been in some wars, man. Both his fights with Eddie Alvarez were wars. Uh, his fight with Max Holloway, while pretty clearly his fight, not an easy... Max Holloway is nobody's easy fight. Nobody's. Uh, that was, you know, kind of a back-and-forth brutal fight. His, uh, his fight with Gagey, uh, war. The fight he just had with Dan Hooker, that was a war. That's going to catch up to him at some point. Uh... On the other hand, we have Tony Ferguson, who uh, the years might catch up to Tony a little bit before accumulated cage damage, because while Tony's been... Uh, I mentioned this when I previewed his fight with Gagey. 
While Tony had been hit and hurt on occasion in the past, he hadn't really taken a lot of damage in any of his fights. Then he fought Gagey and took a career's worth of damage over 20 plus, over, you know, under 25 minutes. That was a, he absorbed a ton of damage in that fight. And, again, it's the first time, especially since he's been in the UFC, that's the first time he's really taken a beating. So whether or not it winds up having a performative impact or not, we'll have to wait until he performs. But, yeah, again, who could possibly oppose that fight? Uh, there's now, So the thing that people are kind of mentioning is whether that could serve as the co-main event to Khabib versus Gagey. Uh, Khabib versus Gagey is, I believe, is currently kind of tentatively scheduled for October. Uh, UFC 254, so that is the 24th. Um, I mean, again, who could possibly complain about that? If they make that fight to co-main event, that title fight? I mean, the winner of that fight is almost certainly your number one contender anyway. Um, you know, that said, if you're Tony, that's a dangerous fight. Because if we're talking about lightweight, we are, if he loses and he very well might, Dustin Poirier, very good fighter. If he loses that, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say he, I wouldn't say he will never be champion, but two back-to-back losses, especially if he loses another kind of brutal fight at that age in that division, um, he would have a big uphill, he would have an uphill battle to potentially get back into the title picture. That's uh, kind of how I see it. You know, 254 is a really good card, actually. And you have Khabib and Gagey, great fight. Um, okay, Alexander Volkov and Walt Harris is a little bit whatever. Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. The UFC rebooked Zabit and Yair for that fight. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos is going back to lightweight, and he's fighting Islam Makachev. That's a really good fight. Uh, that's a pretty good card right now. There's no way the event looks like this by the time we actually get to October 24th, but on paper, as of this recording, yeah, that's a good card. That is a pretty good card. Uh, all right, I again, really quiet news-wise. I mean, you know, GSP talked a little bit about how he doesn't think he could go down to lightweight and beat and fight Khabib at this point. Uh, I don't blame him for that at his age to go down and fight against a guy in his prime and Khabib like that. Um, if those two fight, it would probably be for at a catchweight affair. Uh, they might even just do it at welterweight. And if that is the last fight for Khabib, I mean, I hate to say that you know whether that's going to be the last fight for Khabib or not. I just, I I just mean to say, if you rem- if you'll recall, Khabib's father, the recently deceased Abdulmanap said that part of his plan for Khabib was for Khabib to retire undefeated at 30-0 and and to then see one of his other students, the aforementioned Islam Makachev, move up and claim the belt. Not Again, not be handed it, but to win the title. Uh, Makachev is certainly good enough to potentially do that. Uh, but Khabib's always kind of talked about the end of his fighting career being at 30-0. and 
And so if he beats Justin Gagey, not a given, but hypothetically, he would only have the one more fight if he was going to retire at 30-0. and 0. And the question then becomes, do you do another him again? I think it, I think if Tony beats Poirier, maybe then we finally get uh, Khabib versus Tony in Khabib's last fight, potentially. I mean, think about that, you know. Think about the build to that. You have Tony, not quite on the same epic winning streak he used to be, but still, if Tony beats Poirier... I mean, Dustin's only lost at lightweight to Michael Johnson and Khabib. The Johnson fight was just kind of a... I think I've heard it best said. It's a tricky matchup for him anyway, stylistically, and that was maybe the best... uh, Johnson just really on his game. Uh, Again, Johnson just really, really on his game that night. On that night, Johnson was great. But other than that, it's only been Khabib that's beaten him. If Tony can do it too, and again, he might, you could put him back into the title picture, and I don't think too many people would complain. Uh, So maybe we... Again, so that's a possibility. But if you... If Poirier beats Tony, I just... I think it's a hard sell after their fight, even if he beats Tony. I mean, okay, if he beats, uh, if he, you know, stops Tony Ferguson, okay, if he, you know, comprehensively stops him, kind of like Gagey did, it's a much more, it's a much easier sell, but, I mean, again, even if he does that, I just, I, I'm not sure that a second fight between Poirier and Khabib is really all that interesting to me. And if we're talking about Khabib's last fight, uh, I don't know. I'm, if that's if that's a consideration on the table, maybe you do the George Super fight. Maybe you do him in GSP at 170. I mean, it, you could do him in GSP at 170. You could do you could do a rematch between. So again, kind of assuming Poirier wins at that point. You could do a rematch between Poirier, I don't know if McGregor... I'm, I'm kind of mentally excluding Conor McGregor from the equation. Uh, you could do... You could do another fight between Poirier and Gagey. Uh, I mean, again, who would possibly complain about that fight happening again? And you just make one of the... You just make another top lightweight fight for the interim belt... Put air quotes around the interim if you want. Khabib fights GSP. Win, loser, draw. He retires. And, you know, then that person immediately is promoted to champion. Or you wait for GSP and Khabib to fight. Khabib hypothetically wins. And in all honesty, much respect as I have for George, as much as I think George does ask real questions of Khabib, the layoff George has had... If George were to come back from another, you know, four to five year layoff, fight a monster like Khabib in his prime, even at 170, and beat him, whew, that would be a remarkable accomplishment. That's kind of why I favor Khabib. It's it's just time, I think, is kind of caught up to George, and it catches up to everybody, you know? It's not a knock on him or anyone else. But you could just wait for that fight to happen 
if Khabib retires after that fight, you know, undefeated, undisputed, lightweight champion, 30-0, and 0, was always my father's dream. I'm retiring. Thank you, everyone. You know, etc. etc. He does the retirement tour. You immediately make a fight for the vacant belt. It's between whoever you want to make it for at that point. You could do that. And again, would anyone? I'm not going to complain about that too much. But apart from you know some of George's comments, uh, not really sure that there was any other major news that's taken place over the last little bit. So let me check Twitter one time, and then we'll get out of here if nothing crazy has happened. Nope, nothing crazy. So let's go ahead and get out of here once again. All right, uh, I've got kind of a... Uh, if you like my opinions on movies or you like listening to Damn You Hollywood, uh, this Monday, so the 31st, probably about the time you're listening to this, there will be a double shot of Damn You Hollywood dropping. First, we will be myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina. This is over. We're on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network sub-an- subsection of the W2M Network, or if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can just uh, follow and we'll find the w, uh, Wrestling to the Max or W2M, and you can find their feed. We're just, we pop up there individually. So Mark, Alexis, and I will be reviewing first. I believe we're reviewing New Mutants. That will drop a little bit after... We're recording that at noon Eastern. So I, we don't really edit those shows. You know, we record and then publish. So I think New Mutants will be first, and then later in the evening, Bill and Ted face the music. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting couple of podcasts. Because... I'm not going to lie, didn't care much for either movie, but one of them, and I'm going to make you listen so you know which, I judge a little bit harsher than the other. So, tune into those two shows. You can listen to, last week we reviewed the Disney Plus exclusive, The One and Only Ivan, which was a giant pile of meh. But you can listen to us talk about the ways it's a giant pile of meh, which I think is kind of half the point. Not just You, you don't just listen to us say good, bad, or otherwise. You know, what we think about the craft and enjoyment factor and whatnot is part of the part of the deal. So we have two of those coming. Uh, coverage on Saturday. You can find my review of MLW's re-airing of Underground, this case being episode 8. They're releasing those on their YouTube channel. And uh, this is the lowest I have rated one of those shows, was episode 8. So you can find my review of that in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania if you feel like watching me slowly go insane. While this show manages to have less wrestling in 40 minutes than somehow than Monday Night Raw does in the first 40 minutes, boggles the mind. But they did it. Uh, and I think that's kind of it for me for this upcoming week. We'll be back here next week, previewing uh, reviewing UFC on ESPN Plus 34, and we will have a preview of the. Uh, Glover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos cards. UFC and ESPN plus 35. How does that card look? I mean, Santos and Teixeira, again, probably crowns your number one contender to either Dominic Reyes or Jan Blahovich. Wow. That is, uh... I am, uh, yeah. Okay. 
you know, there's a few fights on that card that are going to fly under some radars, but might be okay. Um, Kama Worthy and Otman Isatar might be... You might not remember those guys. I've seen their UFC bouts. That might be fireworks. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts and Matt Frivola is probably going to be good fun. Um, Kyle Nelson and Billy Quarantilo? That might be okay. Uh, yeah, okay, it's not a great card on paper. But we'll go over it in more depth next week when I assume at least one of those fights will have will not look the way it does at the moment. But such is, again, such is the state of combat sports in the time of a pandemic. What are you going to do? All right, be back here next week. Once again, everyone, thank you very much for your support. Until then, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.